Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. How about ripping yourself off? There are new rules I'm going to share with you in today's Clark Rageous Moment where you can help destroy your retirement future by emptying your 401k. I'll tell you how it works. You don't want to do it. And coming up yet later, parents really distressed about their kids and their finances when they have adult children give advice based on the way things were for them as parents. But a lot is different now, and I want to give you my perspective on what you should be looking at if you're in your 20s and 30s about how to handle your money. Now, I want to talk now about something that so few people are really tuned into, and that is that there are the four major cell phone carriers. Obviously, we know Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, and Sprint. All the growth the last four years has been to T-Mobile, who's steadily taken market share from everybody else. But each of these companies also have a captive discounter, a brand that, in, in many cases, have more than one where you're on the same network, but because you're not on the flagship brand, you get something that is usually cheaper, may or may not be as good, or may even be better. But these things, the price points have kept moving. I want to talk to you about one that's a joint venture that runs on Verizon's network called Total Wireless that is offering a deal for a family plan that you have four lines for $95 a month. So you get, they call it unlimited data. It basically is unlimited data because the four lines share 100 gigs of data a month. How anybody could use more than that per month on a family plan of four, I have no idea. But being able to to have four lines on Verizon at 95 a month with unlimited talk, unlimited text, and even though they call it unlimited, it is this 100 gig cap, is quite a deal. You can see Total Wireless if you go in a Walmart store or you can go to TotalWireless.com. Verizon also has a second discount brand called Visible. Visible is very heavily geared towards people in their uh, 20s and 30s. It is a flat $40 a month for a single line, and that includes unlimited data, uh, not like what you get here where there is ultimately 
more than you can um, use. But if you go to that, you're out of business. With Visible, you're good. And Visible is one that you buy only through Visible.com. You download a Visible app to your phone. As long as it's compatible with their network, bam, you're on it. So T-Mobile has Metro by T-Mobile. And since they added by T-Mobile to the name, it's not as cheap as it was before. Metro by T-Mobile routinely was four lines for 120 a month and uh, for 100 a month now it's four lines for 120 a month but as they'll tell you you get a lot more with it you get prime your amazon prime membership they pay for you and you get hotspot with your phone but it's still a price increase it's 120 instead of 100 for a family plan for a hundred a month you can be with Cricket Wireless, which is AT&T's captive brand. The only problem with the Cricket for a family of four at 100 a month is that the speed you're given is not exactly outstanding. So they kind of slow down the speed plenty fast enough for basic web surfing, plenty fast enough for watching video. All these have unlimited video, which is so important to people. And the only one that's not really competitive anymore, in my opinion, is Boost, the discount brand of Sprint. If you want to know more about all the different plans and even companies you've never heard of and what they offer, look at our continually updated shopping guide for cell phone plans at Clark.com. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Chris. Uh, hi, Clark. How you doing? Great. Thank you, Chris. So you've made it to th- three doors, as producer Joel calls it. you got three rental properties. I, I do, yes. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have three rentals. And uh, I know that you're a, a rental veteran, and so I thought I'd ask if you recommend an LLC. Uh, I plan to keep them indefinitely and possibly even get more. All right. Um, so I've gone from five to one. Uh, rental properties and Joel now has five and so you're going one direction and he's going one direction I've been going the other but um, let's talk LLC all right so these three properties how many of the three have mortgages on them Uh, all of them and my own residence so I can't really get any more mortgages without paying uh, some higher rates Okay, so with those properties, it's not truly practical yet to do LLCs until a property becomes mortgage debt-free. And then okay. as if you're a long-time play having rental properties, if you've got one, once you pay it off, it's one you wish to keep for many, many years to come, potentially decades, then mm-hmm. what real estate specialists recommend and lawyers is that you put a property in its own LLC that you don't have one LLC for the number of properties you have but one per property and there's a very important legal reason liability reason that this is recommended 
And that is, if something happened at one of your rental properties and you had them all together in one LLC, even though you protect yourself personally from liability, all the properties in that LLC would be at risk in whatever legal action the LLC might face. So that's Um, why it's recommended that each property you have be in its own LLC. But not until it's paid off, would you recommend right. this? Is, is exactly. The not normally, an issue before that? normally, it's not going to be practical to do it while you have a mortgage on it because the lender uh, may not be willing to permit you to put the property into an LLC. I say there's complications. Right. It's not mine outright. So, what I recommend to you. Your situation is that you pay the success tax. Do you know what the success tax is for having multiple properties? I do not. You get an umbrella insurance policy. Okay. And I don't know if you know how those work, but you have a liability built into your homeowner's insurance on each property you have. And then an umbrella policy is an excess policy that sits on top of all your insured assets. And they're sold in multiples of $1 million. The first million is significantly more expensive than each additional million and will usually cost you for that first million a couple hundred dollars a year. All right. Because the, the risk that you will end up in a liability situation that would be really expensive is very low. But if it happens, it's really great that you have it. Sure. Yeah, especially with the size properties I'm dealing with. uh, Seems like a million would be more than enough. Okay, but you're not insuring the property in that case. You're insuring the risk that the property could generate. Somebody gets hurt there. Some crime takes place there, something like that. That's what you're insuring against. The one thing you've got to make sure is that your insurer allows you to insure rental properties under the umbrella. Some will look at that okay. as a disallowed purpose. So you just got to know that you're okay with that. And continued success to you, Chris, with building a portfolio of rental properties. Sheldon's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Sheldon. Hey. How are you doing? Hey. Great, thank you. Great show, and I love your website, too. Thank you so much. Sheldon, how can I be of service? Well, I have a, a daughter who's a senior in high school, and so we're starting to look at colleges and narrow that down and doing a little financial strategy planning. And uh, I heard you mention something recently about using 529 funds and how that might not be best to do in the first year of college but maybe to postpone it till a later year i wanted to ask you about that so when i've said that generally i'm referring to non-parental owned 529 accounts where one is owned by a grandparent or aunt or uncle or something like that that the way that's treated is generally different than a 529 owned by you as a parent for the benefit of your child. So 
if you if you want to use 529 plan money that is yours as a parent that you're the you the owner of these of the 529 yes yeah so if you want to use it from the get-go that's fine but if you're not going to have enough 529 money to pay for the full four years of college then it is really better to let the money sit for a couple more years till you use it because that way you have a couple more years of tax-free growth and tax-free spending of the money in the 529 account. Right, and that makes sense. Only I suppose that's the offset. Like in our case, we'd have to, if we couldn't use it right away, we would be having to do some parental plus loans. So I suppose that's, you know, you weigh that against the, the cost of the loans, right? Yeah, so with a parent plus loan, which is right now going to cost you over 7%, for this next year, if I remember right, that would not be a better idea than using the 529. So using the 529 right out of the gate would be the best choice. Got it. Now that sounds good. Hey, one other quick question, if you don't mind, it has to do with um, the rule of thumb for total student loan borrowing. I've heard you say, you know, rule of thumb, never borrow more than your expected first year salary. Now, in my daughter's case, it'll involve a couple years of graduate school, which which takes us up to a higher number. Do you think yeah. that rule still applies? Oh yeah, that rule definitely applies. <laughs> you, if, if you know, when you add on a master's or whatever afterwards, and so you're talking about six years of college potentially instead of four, right? Then the total amount borrowed is really relevant because you could end up after four years undergraduate, two years of graduate school, it's not at all unusual for someone to have north of $100,000 of total borrowing. Right. And if you're going to not be going into a career where you're going to earn something like that, it becomes like a mountain you're climbing, servicing the debt right out of school, and then... uh, ultimately trying to work down the balances on that debt do you have i mean you are so lucky you have a child who is a teenager before even going to college for the first day already knows what they want to do yeah we're we're fortunate in that respect we still haven't figured out my son he's a few years farther down the road but yeah we're lucky that she knows so your daughter wants to be what six years down the road Uh, A physician's assistant. Well, that is such a fantastic career path. And the need for PAs and their rivals, nurse practitioners, I guess you call them rivals, is, (laughs) is so gigantic because nobody anymore who goes to medical school has any interest in being a primary care doctor that NPs and PAs are going to be the important link to improve health, uh, people's health quality in the United States. And so I'm really glad, but you got to be careful how much borrowing is going to have to take place in those six years and how aggressive your daughter is going to have to be and how she lives her life when she gets out of school in terms of controlling spending tightly to deal with what will be a very large amount of student loan debt. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. 
That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Today's car courageous moment is something that gives me heartburn. Starting in January, you're going to have a whole lot more power to withdraw money from your 401k prematurely. You're going to be able to claim hardship under a whole bunch of different circumstances under new regulations issued by the IRS. I hate this. I think this is terrible because as we make it easier and easier for people to tap into their retirement money, it, it becomes so difficult to ever make it up. Historically, people who even just take loans from 401ks statistically will end up with a tiny fraction of the amount of money of somebody earning a similar paycheck, putting a similar contribution into a 401k who didn't take out loans versus the person who did. This is one of those things, just because you can doesn't mean you should. As it becomes possible for you to borrow against your 401k or to do hardship withdrawals, just say no. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Thanks for joining us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. I I keep thinking about a call we took earlier from a parent uh, trying to figure out how to pay for school, and we got a lot of those calls, and I was thinking about something I read recently in... uh, I think it was in Barron's Magazine, it may not be where I saw it, about how people coming up now, uh, whether they uh, finish high school, go on to trade school, community college, regular college, whatever, that they face more difficult choices about money than the generations that came before them. You know, I think about when I speak to groups and... I'm an unusually optimistic person. It's just who I am. But I'll ask people who thinks their kids are going to have a better financial future than they've had. And let's say, you know, it's I'm in an arena or, or auditorium or whatever, and almost no hands go up from all the people assembled who believe their kids will have a better financial future than they have had. And then I'll ask who thinks their kids are going to have a worse financial future than the life they've had as parents, and almost every hand goes up. Well, I saw the data recently, and it is true that it will be tougher 
for our kids than for us. But likely, over a full lifetime, somewhere around three-quarters of kids will end up more successful financially than their parents. Used to be like better than 90%. But even today, it will still be a majority, a good majority, if you think 75%. And that's just, those stats are a moving target. Could end up being lower than that, maybe even higher than that. We'll see over time. But there's a lot of uncertainty today and a lot of things that make it more difficult for a young person. So the student loan thing, brutal for the student and if parents take on that burden, can be brutal for them. A lot of people in retirement are still paying for their kids' college education with loans they took out. And if you've listened to me for any period of time, you know how that troubles me so much. And that with colleges, there are so many different choices at so many different tuition levels that if it requires borrowing an extreme amount of money, I think that a student has got to look at a less expensive college and that parents need to stop guilt-tripping themselves into thinking they have to put themselves into debt, or if it's not them putting themselves into debt, that feeling like, well, their kid wants to go to that school, they should let the kid borrow everything he or she wants. You're not doing your kid any favor when you do that. Because then you do create this massive burden that you hear about from time to time. So going to somewhere cheaper is a better idea. I was stopped by a woman the other day who has a daughter who's a college freshman who kept begging to go out of state. And she was lamenting to me how her child would have had almost no student loan debt she would have had if she'd gone in state and that she's going to have this hundred and something thousand dollar burden by having gone out of state. It's really difficult. Very few 17, 18, 19 year olds understand what they're taking on. But I'll tell you, people who've done it and been there and have all those debts in their 20s and 30s, they'll tell you it wasn't worth it. And they wish somebody had told them what I'm saying right now. So yeah, the burdens are different. You know, when I went to college, back when we used to like have to dodge the velociraptors and the Tyrannosaurus rexes roaming around, not that old. But I went to college during the Vietnam War and its aftermath. And I started college in 1973. And my dad lost his job. And so I was a night student. I went to college during the evening and worked full time during the day. My tuition per year was $2,400. You even take the inflation since then. And we're still talking about a tiny, tiny amount of money compared to what tuitions are today. So the burdens are heavier. And it's not an illusion that 
if you decide uh, you want to buy your first house and you're living on the coast, that house is going to eat up your wallet and potentially take north of 50% of your income to live in a little tiny box. Maybe you want to live wherever it is more than anything else you're willing to sacrifice that. But I've also talked recently about the enormous advantage of moving somewhere in the country where you can actually own a home without having to spend every last penny. So there are things that, choices you might have to make that were never, ever something that people thought about. And if you go back to, if you're in your 20s or 30s, you go back to your grandparents, they, when they hit retirement, they tended to work for typically one company throughout their career, and they got a lifelong pension more often than not when they finished. You're not going to have a pension. It's not going to happen. So that's something else that two generations ago didn't have to do, but you've got to do is save for your own retirement. So think about these things that are decisions that you've got to make that prior generations didn't have to do. At the same time, there's another thing that people, whatever point you go in the workforce forward, that you may think really differently than your parents, aunts, uncles, your parents' friends, where they were on a particular kind of track, if you look what's happening around the country in mid-sized communities and larger ones away from the coast, people in their 20s very heavily want to live with a sense of community, are willing to live in smaller spaces even when they have kids, and want to be in areas where they can get around all different ways other than a car. I shared with you years ago how many 18-year-olds in America did not have a driver's license, and those numbers have only gone up over the years as each generation may have differences from the one before. This one is really different than the generations before and what they want. And you think about you eliminate the cost of a vehicle from your life, your overall cost of living has a lot more breathing room in it. Juan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. How may I be of service to you? Um, my company was just bought out by another one, and this new one, um, the 401k, they don't have a match. So well, they're terrible is... people, aren't they? <laughs> Yes, they are. So, so oh, how my... did they sell that as a benefit to you? Great news for you. Now that we bought you, your new 401k, we do nothing for you. How did oh, they well. say that? Just put it in black and white. They just said, yeah, we don't love you so much. Well, that's terrible of them. But what can you do? So my question is, um, does it still make sense to put in 
to the 401k with the market like going down nowadays? Well, not not for that reason. That's not how you decide whether to participate or not. Because um, can I ask how old you are? 61. Okay, so 61, you know, you have to be more conservative with how you invest, but you still need to put money aside. Okay. And what I recommend first is that you put money in a Roth IRA instead of in the employer 401k since they have no match. Okay. Um, do you have a, a Roth yet? I do. I haven't put anything in recently, but from your advice, I think I'll stop putting in some. How many percent? Well, I would like you to put in as much as you can up to the max you're allowed to do in a year, which at your age is $7,000. Okay. So whatever amount you can put in up to that, I'd like you to do. And because of your concern about the market and your age, I would go in the Target Retirement Fund 2025. Okay. And what happens with a Target Retirement Fund is the manager of the fund makes it steadily more conservative as you get closer and closer to retirement. Got it. The companies that offer what I think are the best of the Target Retirement Funds are Vanguard and Fidelity Investments. Is your Roth IRA with either of those? Unfortunately, no. Okay. I... um, is it with a bank or an insurance company or? Um, I had it through an advisor and I. Oh, okay. I keep getting like, like what do you call it? Something like that. Okay. I'm, I'm killing that, but I heard it. So that is the worst kind of 401k or the first worst kind of Roth IRA to have. You have one with an insurance company. And insurance companies charge massive fees, gigantic fees and commissions to do any kind of retirement investing with them. And I would like you please to open your new Roth IRA with Vanguard or Fidelity. Okay, got it. And with Fidelity, if you go to Vanguard, you just simply go in the Target Retirement Fund 2025 and every every time you contribute hopefully automatically every month you just pop the money in it but with fidelity fidelity has two different kinds of target retirement funds and you'd want to go in the target index 2025 fund so all you have to do with either of these companies you go online you open a roth ira with them set up how you're going to deposit money in it and then just fund it into that target retirement fund, and it's done for you. And you pay no commissions, and you pay teensy-tiny fees, probably about one-fortieth of what it costs Uh with that insurance company. So the money's working for you instead Mm -hmm. of for that insurance company's. So is it worthwhile for me to just close the other one, the current one that I have? Yeah, move the the money money from it to whichever you decide to go to, Fidelity Mm -hmm. or Vanguard. Just move it over to them and get it away from the insurance company because 
that's a tough choice. There are three places I don't want you to ever save and invest for retirement. One is at any bank, two is at any insurance company, and three, any full commission stock brokerage. All three mean you're funding somebody else's retirement, not your own. Damien's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Damien. Hi. Damien, you're going to Disney. Disney World or Disneyland? Disney World. We try to go every four or five years with the kids as they get older. So my youngest is going to go on his second trip. He just turned, he's going to turn nine next month. So we're trying to go the end of January because we know that's kind of when the cheapest hotel rates are for like their off season. So we've done this twice prior. This will be the third time. And for some reason, this third time, I'm having a little issue with pricing. <laughs> so let me tell you, there's a pattern with Orlando now that affects the calendar on pricing for properties, and I want to tell you how to figure it out, okay? Um, Orlando has become one of the nation's premier convention markets. I mean, think about it. You come from wherever in the country, and particularly in midwinter, the weather may be atrocious wherever you are, and if you can go to Orlando, that's a pretty easy sell to people in January, right? Correct. Right. So you <laughs> why could, we're going. <laughs> you could have a convention laying right on top of the dates in January you're looking at that's caused the rates to go way up. The prior two times we've went, it's been pretty much the same time. We go Yeah, in, but in that doesn't January. matter. Conventions can you know, they rotate a lot the biggest conventions in the country go to four cities. They go to Las Vegas, Chicago, Atlanta, and Orlando. And so you could have a big meeting that normally is the week you're looking at, and it may be its rotation that it's suddenly in Orlando. You know, it's the fourth year and it's in Orlando. And so if you go look at a lot of the hotel chains, you'll see like a price calendar. And you can see for a period of time like January, you can see what they're charging each night, and you'll be able to see when they're busy and when they're not and that trend will pretty much be true for a big chunk of the hotel space particularly anywhere near the orlando convention center all right so more or less like kind of uh, maybe change the dates and see if it changes exactly you may be able to cut your price by a tremendous amount i had back-to-back conventions i spoke at in orlando last year And while I was there, because there was this big meeting coming into the Orlando Convention Center, the hotel rates quadrupled during the time I was there, from when the first night I was there till the last night I was there. That's, yeah, see, all right, so it could just be that the week that I'm looking at is uh, just happens to be maybe something going on during that week, and just maybe either go a week prior or a week after and see if that changes the dates. Exactly. Not, not change the date, but changes the prices. Exactly. Same exact rule applies in all four of the cities I mentioned, Chicago, Atlanta, Las Vegas, and Orlando. The hotel rates are so sensitive to what's booked at the big convention centers. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.